Hi, this is Dan Mishkin. I'm the co-creator of Amethyst Princess of Gemworld and Blue Devil for DC Comics, currently the webcomic Amazon Academy, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. of the Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's part duh of Dan Mishkin, isn't it? It is. And as you heard last time, Dan and Jeff had a great time. And now they're back or we're back to let you listen to the rest of the episode and have a lot of fun with them. So sit back, get a drink and listen to more with Dan Mishkin and Jeff talking about all the cool stuff to talk about. Yeah. Well, let's just get into it because you've already heard our ramblings on part one. So let's get into part two. Well, let's get in. And I, and I do think it's important how good your characters were. Amethyst is a, was a fantastic um, character and world building that you created with gym world and it, it kind of reminded me i was looking up once again looking up some research uh, on on you and and your um, amethyst and i found mm-hmm. an interview that you did of five questions that you did with gail simone okay okay and in the interview or before the interview gail simone said i have to say i don't ever i don't think i ever read a dc or marvel comic that so spoke to my own experience as a girl and and I found that was a, a, an amazing quote and, and, and comment from not only a, a a female fan but Gail Simone, who's one of the best known women writers, and to so yeah. greatly identify with your character. I was wondering how does that feel for you, knowing that your character was that well not only accepted but made that kind of a mark. Oh, that's just so nice to hear because I don't remember it now until you bring it up, and it's like that's great. I mean, that's the whole point. You know, that's the whole point of creating these characters is so that they speak to the experience of, of the people who are going to be reading it, you know, that they're not alien to them, that there's something that they can embrace. That's, and that I've written female characters that in the case of Amethyst and, and I think in, in the case of Wonder Woman that have, not that I created Wonder Woman, uh, some people who don't really follow comics say to me, did you create Wonder Woman? <laughs> no, no, I'm not that old. But but the the fact that I've worked on women characters, girl characters that that speak 
to women and girls. I mean, I I was at uh, Terrificon uh, in Connecticut a couple of years ago, and this woman must have been around forty, you know, came up to me and she was looking at our the very early stuff of our Amazon Academy comic, and you know, she was attracted to it because. For the same reason, as it turns out, she was attracted to Amethyst because it's, you know, it captures that kind of fantasy and that that desire to be something more that is, you know, is part of you know early adolescent experience. And when she somewhere along the way grasped, okay, this sounds funny to say it, it sounds vain to say it, when she grasped who I was. You know, which is the co-creator of Amethyst. I mean, she almost melted on the spot. <laughs> and it was like, wow, you know, I, 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 I sort of, I, I scooped her up and put her back in the pail. And I, you know, I, I, you know, I just said, I'm so glad that the character meant so much to you. Because that's what, what we were doing it for. Amethyst, Amethyst was, a, was a joy. I mean, Blue Devil was was a joy too. Amethyst is, I don't know why I have. And part of it may be that I was for, I was first draft on Amethyst and Gary was first draft on Blue Devil for the most part. So, so I had to. I mean, we plotted together, right? But then we we do a page by page plot and then see the art and then write the dialogue. And I was the first pass on Amethyst and on Blue Devil. So there's, there's a little more intimacy. I, I think that I had more personal int- intimacy with Ernie Cologne and Gary more with Paris Collins, although we're both very fond, were very fond in Ernie's case of both of them. It's, yeah, Amethyst sort of, is deeper in me for whatever reason. And it's, it, it is a fantastic concept. One thing I do like that what you did with um, the character of Amy Winston, uh, um, Amethyst, is that she's a, not only do you make a princess of gem world, which gives her you know, a sense of royalty and, and fantasy, but because you had the witch, is it Satrina? Yeah. The witch Satrina have a raise on earth. It does two fantastic things. First, in, at least in my opinion, first, it makes her immediately identifiable for the audience who, you know, and have her be, as she enters Gem World again, the the eyes of her audience and, the, and l- allows the audience to live through her. But also, because she was grown, you have her raised on Earth, it gives a sense, an extra little dynamic to her character. So she's not just a princess. She's someone who has experienced what it is to be a regular person right. in, on Earth fact, as well. In fact, she, yeah, she's, she's a little bit skittish about this whole royalty thing. Because she's a good old American girl, and we don't have kings and queens and princesses here, you know. So it's not like it comes to her naturally. Although it's not like it's also not like she's going to toss it away. But it's yeah, that dynamic is was pretty interesting, and it's really sort of. I mean, it's actually right there, I think, in the opening caption of the first issue, um, where we talk about how you have this dream that, you know, your parents are not your parents. You're really from another place. You're that there's some specialness that nobody has told you about. It's in some ways it's the Harry Potter story too. Although, yeah, I hasten to add that we were first, Um, (laughs) although we were not the first to tell that story, you know, before we had the name Amethyst, the, the concept was we were referring to as the changeling. 
Now, despite Deep Space Nine and all sorts, of, I love Deep Space Nine, by the way. It's but a great show. Deep, yeah, despite Deep Space Nine and all sorts of other pop culture, changeling does not mean shapeshifter. In folklore, a changeling is a non-human child that it, baby you, that's that is exchanged for a human baby that's taken away to live in the demon world or whatever. Mm. So, so, and that's why Carnelian is from earth. I mean, he was, he is not the baby that, that Herbin Mary and Winston lost, but it was important to have a counterpart, you know? So it was, so the idea of the changeling is, is very old. And we were playing on that. But one day I was standing in my kitchen and the word amethyst appeared in my head, hmm. just like that. Yeah. I was not looking for it. I'm not trying to think of, well, what do we really need this to be? And I called Gary. And, and we're, sometimes we're like just two halves of the same brain. And I told him the name. And we were, and the gem world and the 12 houses and all of that, you know, it was there, you know, right away. And of course, Ernie made it beautiful, made it so fantastic. But, oh, and there's actually, we were talking about Jewish stuff before, two Jewish things about Amethyst, okay? One is that, you know, Dark Opal is, wants to get fragments of all the 12 house stones so that he can have them put on this breastplate that he'll wear and it'll give him commanding power that no one else on the gem world can wield. So that's the breastplate of Aaron, Moses's brother, mm. which was also 12 different, 12 different gems. You know, it's not, I'm not saying it is literally, but it's like, that's where the idea, you know, I think seeped into probably my mind, not Gary's, because I'm, I'm Jewier than he is. <laughs> uh, uh, but so the other Jewish thing about Amethyst, you were talking about Amy Winston. So, and we were talking about how about Jewish writers kind of wanting to assimilate and stay below the surface. So in my personal, you know, head canon, you know, what I believe is true about the character, but I never wrote down, is that the family name was Weinstein. And like her grandfather changed it to Winston. And so in my world, Amy Winston should have been having a bat mitzvah instead of going to the gem world. Uh, <laughs> but I was too chicken shit in 1982. <laughs> but to, uh, that's interesting. To do that. that that's interesting. You did like a twelve tribes of um, Israel. Yeah. Well, I you know, I think that was partly there, partly. But twelve is all over, you know, all over the culture. I mean, there's the astrological signs. There's, you know. It's 12, 12 is one of those, those numbers that has, has a kind of, many cultures seem to find mystical significance in, you know, you, you find a lot of, you know, three, seven, 10, and 12. You find, find a lot of that in the Torah. You find, and 40 is, well, the 40 days and 40 nights, 40, I think was probably just used as a, as as a number that meant, you know, a whole lot, but 10, because, you know, we're, we've got our 10 fingers and three and seven have this, 
they seem to have this visible quality and the 12 does too. And whether it's, it's you know, the 12 may come from the slow, although the solar year and the lunar year don't quite match up, but the 12 new moons, you know, in a year, the seven from the, you know, the, the seven times four to get roughly the, the lunar month, you know. So those are kind of deeply imprinted on us from way primitive times, I think. So, so I don't think it was the twelve tribes. I think that I think the twelve tribes were okay. Let me reveal that I don't believe in the little literal truth of the Bible. Okay. Okay. So, fair enough. So, so you know, because I'm because I'm what I'm going to say is I think that the source of the twelve tribes was, and this may be true, even if it was literally so, they may have divided themselves up this way. But the but whether it's writers or whether it's it's actual literal people who divided up into 12 tribes. The I think rather than the saying that we drew on that for the 12 houses of the gem world, I would say that we drew on the same primitive source as the writers or the early Israelites. Gotcha. Drew on, you know, so, and just by the way, you, you, Gary and I are the only ones who do this, but we persist in referring it to referring to the place as the gem world. It's not gem world, it's the gem world. You can say gem world, everybody else says gem world. <laughs> it's because so you know when we did the series, we were so just call it amethyst. People will say nobody knows what that means. Uh, <laughs> and, and so the people at DC just didn't, you know, they said, okay, so make it amethyst princess of the gem world, you know? But but the the in the title and in the logo just was a sticking point. And so they made the title of the book Amethyst Princess of Germ World for very good reasons. And my God, did Todd Klein do a terrific logo for that. But but in the, in if you read Gary's and my stories, it's always the Germ World. But for everybody else, it's just Germ World. And now, of course, Amy's Amy Reader's miniseries is just called Amethyst. They don't need the Princess of Germ because now, now apparently yeah. everybody understands it. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, one thing I was wondering when you're conceiving of the character of Amy and her as a, as a character without with the characterization, at least with her character, when you have her cause from conception, you, you know, she could have been she could have been always a princess on Gemworld potentially, obviously, because she had never been brought to Earth when she's brought to Earth right. and raised as a human girl. How did you factor that in into her personality? Did you look at it from the point of view of this is what she could have been if she always stayed on Earth? I mean, always stayed on uh, the gem world, but because of Earth, we'd, we're going to make her character change in this type of way and in, avoid, in, you know. In, so, so two things. One is because we started out wanting to do a changeling story, it was always going to be the case that she had been left on Earth. It could have been a he at that point. We didn't even know if it was going to be male or female when we first started talking about it. The character, the main character, was always one that came from another world but was left on Earth as an infant. That was from the get-go, whether it was a princess or a prince or a, or a whatever. So, so there's that. The other thing is that, to me, and I think to Gary, I'm pretty sure as Gary would say this too, she is always a she, you know, she answers to Amethyst. She take on the responsibility of being Amethyst 
the, the leader, the lost leader of the House of Amethyst, right? And all of that. But she is always Amy. People say to me, well, you never really, you never really did anything with the romance between Amethyst and Prince Topaz. And my answer is, because she's 13 years old <laughs> you know she could be attracted to him she could they kissed a little i think you know and she felt womanly you know in the 20 year old body of, of amethyst right but nothing was ever going to happen there because she's amy she's a 13 year old and you know she's a middle schooler she's that's and I, I think that was really important that she was, and, and, you know, I was talking about Harry Potter before. It's true about him, too. One of the most crucial things about Harry Potter is that of all the people who can do that magical wizarding stuff, he doesn't know who he is. Mm. Everybody in the world that he's going to find at Hogwarts knows who Harry Potter is, the boy who lived, the one who, who defeated Voldemort somehow. He is famous beyond our imagining, any of our imaginings of fame, and he doesn't know it. In fact, he's treated like shit. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. So that character doesn't work. I mean, he's Draco Malfoy. If he's raised in the wizarding world knowing how famous he is, he's a he's a he's a pompous, self-important ass. But he's not because he was raised by the Dursleys and he had no idea that he is the most famous person in the wizarding world. And that, in a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make us the minor, the the uh, what Nebulos would call the little brother in this <laughs> one. In that, he and Amethyst are similar. She knows nothing of her her true self to the point that it's not even really correct to say it's her true self, right? Just like Harry would be the pompous Draco Malfoy if he'd known all along who he was. And he's not that and won't be that because of the circumstances in which he was raised. Amethyst will always be, you know, Amy Winston in her case, raised by loving parents, which I thought, by the way, was really important. I thought it was every once in a while, it's nice to have a hero who's a hero because they were given love and support as they grew by people who listened to them and understood them. We don't see nearly enough of that. And just to make a point to that, I'd really do like it better when Clark Kent has both parents alive. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was going to bring up Clark Kent next. I mean, he's, he's the other great example. It's he's he's raised by these two loving parents. And, you know, so when I was, I don't know, let's say in my teens and early 20s. So we're talking about 
late sixties into the seventies. Well, I turned. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to remember how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the party line that the common wisdom was in the case of, of Batman, Bruce Wayne is real and Batman is a disguise. And in the case of Superman, Superman is real and Clark Kent is a disguise. And somewhere along the way, we all figured out that's exactly backwards. That Bruce Wayne stopped being Bruce Wayne the night his parents were killed. He went into some kind of chrysalis and came out as Batman. Uh, and he wears Bruce Wayne as a disguise for Batman's purposes. Um, Superman is the son of Jonathan and Martha Kent, raised with their values. And I mean, it was certainly by the time of the first Superman movie, there's no question that this was understood. Because in that, okay, ridiculous turn time backward ending, but who cares? I love the movie anyway. Yeah. He hears two voices, right? He hears Jorel from their 12 years. I'm gonna I'm gonna digress for a minute. Twelve his 12 years of studying with Jorel conveniently had him miss most of Vietnam and Watergate. And all <laughs> true, it. true. It was a clever move on the movie maker's part. But he hears two voices. Jorel says it is forbidden. And he said early on, he said, it's forbidden to tamper with time. Says, it is forbidden, right? And Jonathan Kent, Jonathan Kent's voice in his head says, you're here for a reason. And whose voice does he listen to? He listens to Pa Kent. And that's all you need to know when you ask the question, which one is real and which is the disguise? Mm. You know? And disguise might not be the right word for Superman, but it's definitely Clark Kent operating in a different mode. You know, it's not it's Clark Kent is not is not Superman trying to be mousy and hide away. Right. Superman is Clark Kent in just a different, you know, played in a different key. And that's, yeah, that's entirely it. And you know, that also became a lot clearer by the time of the reboot after Crisis on Infinite Earths that, you know, Clark Kent is, I mean, he's, a, he's a reporter. He could be attractive to, to Lois Lane, you know, and all of that. And that turned into a wonderful relationship as opposed to the Superman-Lois relationship that I grew up on. Oh, my God. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, takes scissors to uh, Clark's hair to see if they break, you know, just, and by the way, Lois, you would have to use a lot of force. It, it's one thing to say the scissors won't cut. It's another thing to say that the scissors will break, you know, because <laughs> the person operating those scissors, scissors has to be really torquing that pretty hard too. Right. <laughs> but, but that, you know, Physics was not the strong suit of 
Superman ever, <laughs> yeah, of, of the Superman comics. So, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so Amy Winston is always Amy Winston. Amethyst is Amy Winston. She's, she's, she might put on airs either because it feels like fun or because she thinks it's expected of her when she's on the gym world. But, you know, she's Amy. She doesn't really get kings and queens and princesses as a, as an actual form of government. We, oh, you know, so I was thinking something about the 12 houses. It's, it is true that we created the diamond house as being different from the others. And, and they, that might've been, that might've been a nod to the Kohanim of the, the 12, 12 tribes, the priestly tribe in the Torah and the Bible. I'm not really sure. I can't remember for sure. But but the fact that there are this distinct group, I think they uh, may have come out of some of my some of my Jewish stuff. Uh, who knows? Now, did you when you in creating Amethyst, did you know you had something that you know thirty over thirty years from later people would still be uh, riffing on the character and using and making their own series on it or like, can you tell when you have something that just works? So, you know, it's really, it's funny. That's not my definition of what works. You know, at the time, my definition of what works was they've given us 12 issues. Because what the hell was DC Comics doing putting out a tween girl comic book in 1982? Right? I mean, I'm glad they did. But they at least had the sense to say, look, you got a maxi series, like Camelot 3000. You get 12 issues, and that's it. So making it work was we're gonna we're gonna do the best 12 issues we could do. Making it last, whether it would be returned to, I don't know if I gave it that much. Thought, I mean, I did think in terms of that, I told you about the creator deal with the 20% licensing yeah. money going, right? So I did think about that. We did have discussions with a toy company on that actually made Gary and Ernie and me some good bit of money on an option. And I, I felt sorry uh, for, for Paul and the others at DC that it wasn't like publicly known because they were really hoping that that if if we had a big licensing success and they saw us making a bunch of money from it, they'd be more willing to give up the rights to their characters for the to the DC universe. Mm. But but that, that was never seen. But yeah, I did hope to make more money. I still do. I'd like to see more. I'd like to see an Amethyst movie still. You know, Amethyst animation or you know, you know. What there's been so far has not made me a lot of license, a lot of royalties, a lot of licensing money because it hasn't been that hasn't been that, been that much for DC. But you know, it could it could still happen. But you know, I'm not so interested when I talk about it being long lasting. I'm not so interested in it being long lasting if other people are writing it. You know. Mm, okay. It's like, in fact, to be honest. It's it's a little bit insulting that they keep using my characters and not saying to me and Gary, 
you guys should do this. As if we would have no feel for the character. Now, I wonder if, I wonder if they had any really sense of any sense of really how that character would work. You know? Mm. Well, well, yeah. You know, I think so. But they that's not the way it's not the way it operates. And again, I said before, I probably stepped on other people's characters thoughtlessly. It's just the way the business is run. Um, and that I do accept. It does hurt sometimes when I see it done badly. The money from the Amethyst movie, if it should ever happen, would go a long way to making me feel better. Um, but, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, or the Blue Devil movie. Even one would be fine. I mean, Blue Devil would be a, a great CW TV show. Um, yeah. But who knows what's going to happen. I, I, I will say I would. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that after the success of some of the more fancy-based movies like Lord of the Rings, that something like Amethyst didn't then come up as the next idea for a story like that. Because it does have yeah. that scope. I don't know. You know, DC hasn't always been great at pushing their properties out to to Hollywood. They're, I'm not sure why, but they, you know... They have one thing that might be good. You might be in our favor. I mean, you were early. We were talking about the how dark the DC movies were, but yeah. one of the things that's happened is that they seem to have abandoned the let's have this interrelated cinematic universe thing. It worked great for Marvel, but you want to know something? It also worked better for Marvel comics than it ever worked for DC comics. DC was separate shops, different editors who did things their own way, you know, into the 70s, maybe even a little bit into the 80s. Um, you could have you could have The Brave and the Bold, or was it World's Finest? Probably World's Finest, featuring stories about the super sons, the sons of Superman and Batman, teenage sons of Superman and Batman, because, you know, the Bob Haney wanted to write them, and the editor thought that was fine. It didn't didn't square at all with what else was going on. But you know, actually, I was a little too much of a continuity freak then, and they hated <laughs> me. But now it's like, oh, those are charming. Those are nice. Yeah, they all had the. I think they all had great Nick Cardi covers, and and it's like, and and look at how many versions of Batman there are. You know, in the different. Even the different animated series are different from each other, right? And there's Gotham, which is different, and everything. And it's like, you know, and the idea that you can just keep doing it differently and not have to have this cinematic universe is is helpful. So Wonder Woman, despite the Ares battle, is totally very different from the other movies. Aquaman is completely different. Shazam, you know, it's like, Nobody says, oh, Shazam. I think actually I read somewhere that, that they were they wanted to have Superman show up in the Shazam movie, but, but who really cares? That would, yeah. have been just a cam, would have been a cameo. You know, let, I always feel funny quoting uh, Chairman Mao uh, since yeah, he was a, you know, a murderous dictator. Uh, right, right, right. But, you know, let a hundred flowers bloom. You know, it's it, it goes back to what I was saying about how, I I was bothered by people giving, you know, sort of sending off the vibe that I should be writing more like Alan Moore, I should be writing more like Frank Miller, when 
you know, there it should have been a UVU kind of thing going on. There's a, so so I'm getting really uh, Jewy here, but I'm just going to keep doing it because why the hell not? So there's the there's yeah. a story the story about Rabbi Zosia, and Rabbi Zosia is on his deathbed, and his his students come to him and they say all these wonderful things about him and how much they they love him and how much they've learned from him and and he but he's kind of quaking trembling almost in fear and they you know rabbi you know you're you are a sage you're a you're a great man surely you will be accepted with 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 joyous psalms and praise at the throne of heaven and says you're a great teacher like like Moses, and 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 Zisya says, when I come before the throne of judgment, I'm not afraid that I will be asked, why are why weren't you more like Moses? I'm afraid I will be asked, why weren't you more like Zisya? So, you know. The goal is to be yourself and to find yourself and do yourself, you know, and comics don't like that, except the other <laughs> comics I was talking about, the comics that most of your listeners don't see, the ones right, right, in right. bookstores, right? Those are all, those are very personal. Like I said, lots of memoir, lots of getting deeply into something that matters, you know, to the cartoonists or, or writers or artists who are putting them together. That's, I'm not saying there aren't terrific monthly comics being put out now, but that's, that's not only not where the real money is, except for a few people. You know, the people who have work but do okay in comics, in monthly comics. But it's where the real spirit is. You know, this, this, the there's, I don't know, the the one more I'm gonna be I'm gonna be as Jewish as I can be tonight. So <laughs> so the the new fifty two comics, whenever whatever year it was they came out, they it was right around the high holidays. So it's like Rosh Hashanah, and you know it's, it's time when you're examining your life, you're thinking about what you've done in the last year, how you want to move forward, and I read like the first issues of a bunch of them. And I thought about what my life was going to be for the next year. And I said, you know what? I don't need these. I'm just reading them because I've been reading them. I'm not, and I didn't even, I didn't even continue with Green Lantern, which Jeff Johns was still writing and was, I was in love with. Yeah. You know, Jeff made sticking around reading superhero comics worth it when he did when he was hitting his stride on Greenland. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, but the truth was, as I did a little, you know, Heshbon HaNefesh, a little examination of the soul, to, and thought about the comics, I said, this new 52 stuff? They may call it a great jumping on time. For me, it's a great jumping off time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and yeah, so, but there, I mean, there are good comics. I read them occasionally. And this one, this, this one that uh, Gene Yang did, the Superman special of the plan, was phenomenal. And I wish I could remember the artist's name. It's a, it's a pair of Japanese artists that go under, I think it's Gurihuru, but I'm not sure that's it. But anyhow, wonderful stuff. And 
you know, that's, and you see that, and Jean just did a book about the Catholic high school where until recently he was a math teacher and about the history of their basketball team and about the kids on the basketball team and about how they never, how they never won a, a California state championship, but maybe this year they would be able to. And it was a very personal book and also full of interesting stuff about Catholic schools and about the history of basketball and about all sorts of other things. But it's this wonderful, big, fat, long comic book that is, oh, there's so many great comics out there that aren't superhero comics. I, I loved a French comic I read, which I could almost have read in French because it hardly had any words in it at all. But, <laughs> but it was called Alone. The artist's name is Chaboutet. And it mostly takes place around the lighthouse with very few characters and one character living in the lighthouse. And it's black and white and it's exquisite. It's, you know, it's not about, it's not about effects or flashiness or flashiness has its place. But, mm. but it's, it's about the story and a few characters and not very many words and it's boy is it good and stuff like that is much more the reason i read comics now than the occasional really terrific superhero comic you know that's just that's just where I, this is not going to get me any work at dc or marvel I <laughs> but i was pretty sure that wasn't going to happen anyway so yeah, but like I said, though, I do think what you did create is something that does have lasting. I, and I know you said that's not your view, but I, I do find I think it's, it, it says something about what you did. The fact that people still are using those characters to this day, even though, unfortunately, DC, I think, is making a big mistake by not having you give those voices back to those characters. Well, that would be nice. Thank you for, for, for saying it. I guess I guess I do feel something similar to what you're saying. It's, but it's not so much that they're still being published in one form or another. It's that people still come to me at cons saying how much they love them. You know, that that 40-year-old woman who practically melted on the floor because she was meeting one of the creators of Amethyst. You know, the people who I've discovered over time that... A lot of people really liked my three-year run on Wonder Woman mm. uh, in the early 80s. And that's tremendously gratifying. And that was the, and you know, one of, my, one of my big goals for writing Wonder Woman was, it was, I'm going to make the relationship between Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor seem utterly believable and completely natural and none of this how could a man play second fiddle to a powerful woman crap you know the stuff that led to his being killed off twice yeah uh, because people didn't know what to do with him though so part of what i had to do was figure out how to integrate 
the two previous Steve Trevors into him. That's the story that got just got reprinted in the Wonder Woman Steve Trevor trade paperback that was that was supposed to come out the time the movie premiered, but it didn't. But I did that. I mean, I treated it. I treated it as a perfectly reasonable relationship. I, and it's not even, I wouldn't even call him settled second fiddle. You know, who knows? I mean, junior partner, whatever, he's, he's less powerful, but he certainly adds a lot to the mix, you know? And she thinks no less of him. He does not feel emasculated. And I found that the trick to making it work was just believing that it would work which I'm afraid some of my predecessors <laughs> couldn't wrap their heads around. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it was... I also had the example... I don't know if you've ever read the, the British comic strip Modesty Blaze. I have not. Okay, so, so Modesty has a partner, a big lug of, of a guy who's her... She's formerly a criminal boss, boss formerly a displaced person after the Second World War, and she's... But she then ends up working for, like, British intelligence, and she's got this bruiser, Willie Garvin, as her right-hand man. And that relationship, again, it's, like, perfectly natural. He, he knows that she's going she's gonna to make the plans. He has his input to whatever, right? And so I really had Modesty and Willie in mind when I was starting to do Wonder Woman and Steve. And I was really really so happy when I saw a Wonder Woman movie and saw that's really what they did with those two characters in this movie. It was never a question of how could they be partners? You know? It's just, yeah. you know, they are. And I totally went with it was love at first sight. And even though, you know, she's the first man she's ever seen, so it's a little... You might question love at first sight, but right. it's, a, it's a comic book, you know, and and that's what happened. It was they fell in love at first sight, and they discovered that they worked really well together, and so they did. And uh, yeah, that's it's good. you know, an editor at DC once told me that the knock on me there was that I think too much. <laughs> um, but sometimes thinking about who the characters are, you know. You've got to start with feeling and emotion and, and you know, what your gut is telling you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really good to think about, think about who the characters are and, and follow them, you know? Uh, so that's what yeah. I try to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I do think you're, I think it's important to look at characters from that standpoint. Well, I do want to thank you very much, sir, for talking with me. Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it, have, I, have I have I totally bent your ear? Can you even talk anymore? I mean, no, no. <laughs> no yeah. Honestly, you, sir, you are fantastic, and um, I, we definitely want to have you on, especially when your the prose book and your two and the graphic novel comes out. Oh my gosh, yeah, the, you have know, have back. from your, from your mouth to God's ears. But but I will. Yeah, I really I enjoy talking with you, and as you can tell. <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot to say. So. It, like I said, it, it was completely my pleasure. So, like I, said, I always love talking about comic books with someone not only who's a creator of great comic books, but someone who does seem to, as you said, put true thought into what they are creating. Well, you know, and you I know always what, appreciate that. You know, what's really funny, and I'll let you go, is that there's I know so many like really good 
artists especially, this is sometimes true of, of writers, who they really know their stuff, but they can't articulate to other people what they're doing, you know, and which is not a knock on them. It's just that they don't have, you know, they've never converted it into language. I'm doing this because... Um, and I think that's a lot of true. That's true of a lot of people who are skilled at, at various things. They don't think about all the steps that go into it. But I like thinking about how it all gets put together. You know, uh, so. so oh, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And we're back. We are back. What'd you think? We are. I, I thought it was great, man. They had a lot of fun. I love it when, I love it when you have an interview where people just, they just, they just lose track of time and it just keeps going and going and going because you're, you're having such a good time, you know. And that's what this one was. Like you saying know? bye three times. Yeah, like saying bye and then talking for three and a half hours and then leaving it to me to edit for three and a half hours <laughs> for conversations. Yeah, it was great. Well, that's great. Thanks, Kelly Jones. Well, yeah, one of the greatest artists of the 20th century <laughs> and beyond. Like legit. <laughs> like if you name the top 10 artists from. From the 80s all the way to now, he's in your top 10 every single time. Oh, yeah. So, sure. he's amazing. To get three hours with Kelly Jones, you know, it's all good. Hey. Yeah, it's all good. What do you think of Amethyst? Um, I think she's a cool character. I actually really liked her New 52 series uh, when they brought yeah. her back in New 52. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I liked the old ones, the 80s and 90s ones they did. I thought she was, I think she's a cool character. It's a cool concept. I gotta be honest, I. Never read anything about her. Oh, really? I never read one comic book with her or anything. And when somebody was trying to describe her, I I couldn't help but think of She-Ra. Oh, well, she's different. Yeah, but I'm yeah, sure she is. I'm sure there. she is. I'm just saying, when somebody was describing her to me, uh, all I could think, or I kept thinking of Gem and the Holograms. Right. Well, we are the Misfits. She-Ra, Princess Our of Power, Amethyst, Princess of Gem World, Gem. I get it. I get it. Yeah, but I'd, I'll read it. I'll check it out. I just haven't. Oh, uh, you should. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, there you go. All right. That's a show, man. That is a a show. show. Uh, If you enjoyed Dan and and all the antics of Jeff, please go to spoilerverse.com and check out our back issues. Yeah. And while you're there, check out all of our articles and reviews and previews, all of our other shows out there. Go to our store, buy some shit, help us out there. And most important thing right now is you need to go to scpod.us slash discord and join our discord server because we're going to be having some cool stuff going on there. You can talk to us, everybody else in the network we have here, uh, other listeners out there like yourself be on there as well. And there's just a lot of good stuff that's going to be happening there. And if it's the last episode, we're going to be doing some giveaways here pretty soon. So get in there, get in there early and and make yourself known. Yeah, I like it. All right. Wow. I uh, (laughs) had a whole thing and I stumbled. All right, Johnny boy. Don't forget, in Ocean's of Podcasts, we are the As Kaboom compelled the nerds to do, open the mic and nerd more. I'm like stuck <laughs> on a nerd today. You're just all the nerds, man. I love it. I love the nerds. Read more. <laughs> <laughs>